You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. As we uh, had mentioned at the beginning of our time together this morning, Isaiah chapter 53 really sets the tone for the direction that we're going to be heading this morning. In this series that we've entitled Pixels, Putting Together the Image of God, we've been taking different picture elements that make up our understanding and the ultimate picture of our Heavenly Father. And while there are literally dozens and dozens of them, We chose four in particular to focus on this month. And the first one we looked at was God as creator. And then in the second week, we looked at the holiness of God, the righteous character of our Heavenly Father. And last week, Donnie walked us through the running redeemer, the idea of God as redeemer. And today, we're wrapping up this series with the whole idea of healing. And I don't know about you, but uh, I have a lot of questions about God as it relates to His healing nature and His character and how He works in our lives in a healing sense. And so, anybody else ever wondered about that? Just let me see if I'm alone. And okay, so half of us, maybe the rest of us haven't yet thought about it too much, and that's okay. I'm going to walk through in two segments today these verses and, and kind of the big ideas of healing as it relates to what God wants to do in our lives. And first and foremost, what you need to understand is our ability to explain healing, our ability to understand it, our ability to wrap our minds around it and kind of be able to put it all in a nice, neat, tidy box is actually second to the authority of what we believe is God's Word, the recorded words of His Holy Spirit through people. And it is God's Word and God's Word alone that ultimately helps us to understand the absolute truth of divine healing. So your experience may be one thing, and what what we see happening here today throughout the text might be something else. And what I want to help you to do is say, you know, hey, I may not understand it, I may have experienced this, or I may not be able to explain that, but here's what I do know about who God is in this as it relates to His healing nature. Because I do believe that He wants to heal, but His primary purpose in healing, as I understand it from the beginning of the Scriptures till the end, is ultimately God wants to heal the broken soul within you and within me. That is primarily, in fact, when Isaiah talks about the fact that by His wounds we have been healed. Ultimately, what he's talking about there is that we have an emptiness, we have a brokenness, we're messed up internally at the soul level, and because of sin coming into this world, God ultimately, primarily wants to heal us of that. Because the truth is, as we walk through all of this, our bodies are no longer meant to live forever. How many of you know what I mean? Your body's already breaking down, it's just not meant to live forever. But as we are going to see today, one day we will be complete. And that's the first thing that I want you to notice in your notes, is that one day we will be complete, which by implication means that we are not yet complete fully yet in this body. And so the, one of the first followers of Jesus, a guy by the name of John, actually wrote about this, and he has some interesting things to say that you'll see there in 1 John chapter 3. It's one of the New Testament letters. Look at it in your notes, and we'll put it up on the screen. He says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and we have yet been shown what we will be like in the future. But, he says, we know that when Christ comes again. Let me just pause there and just say that's really good news for those of us who've decided to follow Jesus, that He's coming again. We actually believe that Christ will return. And if you're exploring faith in Jesus, if somebody invited you here today or you're walking around the mall this week and you decided to come and check us out, we're a people who simply are broken, 
who know that we're not yet complete, that one day we will be complete, and we look forward to that day because we actually believe that Christ will return for us. And that's great news. And if you're exploring faith in Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. And we hope that as we walk through these verses, you could be open to being healed today in a spiritual sense and made right and made at peace with God because Jesus went to a cross for you and for me just to make that available to you. So he goes on and he says, when Christ comes again, we will be like him because we will see him as he really is. Now, what we understand from Scripture is that originally we were created in a state of perfect health in the garden, in the picture that we have in Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of the Bible. Uh, Adam and Eve were created in a perfect state of health. But then they made a decision to take matters into their own hands. And you know what that's like in your own life. When you take matters into your own hands, you usually end up in a mess, right? Well, that's exactly what happened. And now we bear the brunt of their mistake, their sin today, all of these thousands of years later. And with that sin came sickness, came pain, came disease, and ultimately came death. But in the midst of all of that chaos and all the midst of that hurt and pain that, that, was caught, that was brought into the world, when God pronounced judgment on sin, he also promised the redemption of our bodies, of our souls, of our lives, both in, uh, in eternity. And so in the midst of all this, even when we are healed physically, we still die. So ultimately what God is concerned about right now in the here and now is the healing of your soul. I know that because no one that Jesus healed is still with us today. Have any of you met any of the people that Jesus healed? Like the time that he like spit in a man's ear and grabbed his tongue? That guy got healed, but he still eventually died. Lazarus, poor guy, he had to die twice. And he still isn't here now today. Jesus raised him from the dead. And they, so we know that these bodies are not all that there is, that these are just a temporary dwelling. So we know that we're not yet complete, but one day we will be complete. But in the meantime, we can be made whole in a spiritual sense by what Jesus did. And our wholeness comes at a great expense that Jesus himself was willing to pay for you and me. One of the best examples of God as healer is found in the Psalms. And here's what I want you to notice in Psalm 103. Here's what the psalmist writes. Praise the Lord, I tell myself. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, I tell myself, and never forget the good things he does for me. Notice this, he forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. And the primary concern there, again, is the forgiveness of our sin and the disease of sin that ha inhabits us, that indwells us. And sometimes when you see Jesus, he came and he paid the price for us to be able to be made whole and no longer broken inside, that we could be redeemed and be healed in a spiritual sense. Jesus at times, very confusing. Some of the things I can't wait to ask him because sometimes he would walk into a situation and he would heal dozens, multitudes of people all at one time. And then there would be other times where he would literally step over, excuse me, pardon me, yes, I know you're, yep, yep, got that, yep. Hey, I'm gonna heal you right there. Bam, you're good, pardon me, pardon me. And he would leave all of these people behind him that weren't healed. And I can't wait to have conversations as to why he chose to do that with some and why he chose to do that with others. But for whatever reason, here's what I do know about Jesus as it relates to what he did for us. 
the Apostle Peter, one of the closest followers of Jesus, penned these words that we're about to read together that describe for us the ultimate expense that was paid for us to be made whole, to be made right with our Heavenly Father, and right at the very soul level. And he refers back to Isaiah 53 that we began with this morning. So notice what he says here as he talks about what Jesus did to offer us this ultimate healing. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, when he, when he says they, that, you know, they, whoever they are out there, well, we actually know who they are. They are the Romans. They are the Jewish leaders, the Jewish crowd that day, the people who were watching the crucifixion. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why would Jesus leave the glory and the splendor and the majesty of heaven? Why would he leave absolute perfection, never having known a sick day in his life in eternity? Why would he leave all of that for you and for me? What would motivate him? What would create within him a sense of, I'm going to leave it all, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to be born in humble, humiliating circumstances in first century where they didn't even have air conditioning? Why would Jesus go and do that? Here's what it says. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. He took all of the most ugly parts of you and me, and he literally became sin, our sin, on a cross so that we might be dead to sin and live for righteousness. Then Peter quotes that famous text in Isaiah 53, for by his wounds you have been healed. Primarily, that healing is the redemption of your brokenness, made right with God in Christ. For, he says, you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So, spiritually speaking, we're not yet complete in the sense that our, we're still broken, in the sense that our lives, we live in a sinful world, in the sense that we're not perfect yet, but we are in process. But in the midst of our brokenness, we're still made whole internally by what Jesus did and the expense that he paid for you and for me. And that's good news today. And if you've yet to experience that healing work that Christ offered on your behalf, if you're investigating what, who Jesus is and what he claimed to be, there is no clearer depiction of this. He bore your worst day on the cross for you. And you can respond to him by faith today. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and experience the healing of your brokenness. And we hope that you'll do that. We hope that you'll continue to come back and explore and ask questions. See who this Jesus is that gave his life for you. The balance of our time, I want you to see the physical side of healing. And there are several things that I want to walk through here because I know there's a lot of questions, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of inerrant uh, stuff out there, a lot of confusion, a lot of errant stuff out there, rather, about this whole subject matter. So the first thing I want you to see there 
is that we can't earn a physical healing, and there are no formulas to rope God into healing us. We don't earn God's physical healing. It is a direct decision from God Almighty as to whether or not He heals physically in this life or not. There is nothing that you can do to try to earn that. In other words, there's no magic formula for this. You can't say, I will do A, and then I will do B, and then God will guarantee me C. And if you've been taught that that's the case, you need to read your Bible and see that there are literally dozens of methods by which God does healing. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see that there is no magic formula. In fact, sometimes Jesus would simply touch a person. There was a leper once. He touched this leper, and that person was healed. In another story, he just speaks a word. He's not even present with a centurion servant, with one of the Roman guard servants. He just says, yep, he's healed, and boom, that very hour miles away, this person was healed. Another time, a woman came up and touched Jesus, and she was healed. Another time, he saw some dirt around him. A guy came up who needed to be healed. He spit in the dirt, made mud, put it on the guy's eyes, and then he was healed. So today at the end of our time together, I'll have some mud down here. If you'd like to be covered in mud, we can arrange for that. Uh, Another time, as I mentioned earlier, he actually spit in a man's ear and he touched his tongue to heal him. After the resurrection, Peter was just walking by and his shadow was cast over some people and they were healed. And then you have the Apostle Paul and uh, tele-evangelists have made millions on this one little verse where Paul says, hey, you know what? I can't get to everybody, so let me pray for these handkerchiefs. Let me pray for these aprons. Let me send this stuff out. And then people were healed. And so we've made that into some magic formula, and nothing could be further from the truth. God can do those things. He did do those things. But those are not magic formulas, and we cannot rope God into healing. Are we clear on that? I don't know that we're clear on that. Okay. Well, I'll believe, I'll, I'm clear on that, whether or not you are or not. The methods change, but the source does not change. Over and over and over again, it's a sovereign choice by God Almighty. Now, another thing that I would say is, is that every healing does serve a purpose. It serves a purpose. Sometimes we see the Scriptures teach that Jesus would heal, God would work in people's lives to show that they were that that God was listening, that He was paying attention to remind us that He's a compassionate and merciful Heavenly Father. Other times, He would heal to show that people needed to be dependent upon Him. Other times, it was to remind them that He was to receive all the praise and all the glory for the miraculous work. Still other times, there were healings that were done, and other people came to faith in Christ because of what they saw, and so it was to reach other people. Other times, it was just simply a sovereign choice that God would make in that moment to be a blessing to someone, to remind them that He loved them. And then there were times when He would create this deep sense of dependency upon Himself through the healing work that He would do. Every healing serves a purpose, including when God says no. And that brings us to the Apostle Paul. Paul was Saul. Many of you would know that already. He was a religious leader, a persecutor of Jesus and his church. But then Jesus called him out, and he came to faith about three to four years after the resurrection. And for 20 years of his adult life, he traveled all over the world that was known there at that time by ship, by animal, walking. Thousands of miles Paul would travel, starting churches, 
preaching the gospel, helping literally hundreds, perhaps thousands and thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus. The greatest defender of the faith in the first century, planted and started more churches, and Rome became a Christian empire eventually because of what Paul did. And in the middle of all of this ministry, in the middle of all that he did, he actually came up with a physical ailment. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about this experience where he went to God and he seeks God for healing physically. And in the middle of all of this, God says, nope, Paul, I know you've planted churches. I know you've preached the gospel. I know, in fact, Paul wrote two-thirds of what now we know as the New Testament. He says, Paul, I know you've done all of that. And the answer is no. I'm not going to physically heal you. Think about that and the implications that it has for you and me today. Last I checked, nobody in this room has planted hundreds of churches. Anybody wrote literally part of the Bible? (laughs) If you have, we probably should talk. We've not done the things that Paul did, and yet we think that we should be able to experience and be guaranteed that physical healing. And I think that that's not what God would want us to understand, how he would want us to understand how he works in healing. This has big implications if we think we're something different or something special because the truth is is that we're not. But here's the deal. In all of this, what we're going to see is that God actually promised something better than physical healing when he said no. You're going to see this as we walk through this text. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, so I wouldn't get a big head. I was given the gift, notice that word, the gift of a handicap. Literally in other translations, it's a thorn in the flesh. This handicap was to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Again, in other translations, it's, it tormented him. He says, Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift. Can you relate? When you have the aches and the pains and the diagnoses and the difficult things that come throughout the course of life, we don't think of it as a gift. And begged God, notice this, begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And that wasn't three quick little bless my sandwich prayers. These were seasons of prayer, wrestling with God, agonizing with God in prayer, asking Him, entreating Him to heal Him. These three seasons of prayer, and it says, and then He told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My grace, in other words, the ability and the energy to make it through another day. The ability and energy to endure. This is not saving grace that he's giving here. This is sustaining grace that Jesus, God, is promising him. And it's enough. It's all you need. It's sufficient, the other translations say. In other words, Paul, this sustaining grace is actually more than you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness, God says. In other words, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now, we've all seen athletes who when they score the touchdown, when they hit the home run, when they win the cup, 
they point to heaven and they give God glory, right? And we've seen the actors and actresses when they're receiving their awards and they might give God credit somewhere along the way. And it's easy to give God credit. It's easy to celebrate God. It's easy to trust God when we're all about the successes of this life. But what about in the sicknesses of life? What about in the weaknesses of life? How do we trust a good God? How do we lean into this God and keep going when our circumstances are crippling and God seems to be saying no? Well, here's the heads up. If it's in your future, it's an explanation if it's in your past, and it's a comfort if you find yourself in this today. God will, God has, and God is going to showcase his strength in your weakness if you'll learn to take no for an answer. Let me say that again. God has, God will, God has, and God is going to showcase his power in your weakness if you will learn to take no for an answer. This has nothing to do with his love for you and his compassion towards you or his presence in your life. In fact, his strength in your weakness is his presence in your life. And so this is what happens when Paul gets a hold of this. This is what his reply to that is. Once I heard that, once I heard, God, that your sustaining grace was going to be made available to me, that I could actually find your power sufficient in my weakness, once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap, began appreciating the gift. Yeah, you read it right there, appreciation of this physical ailment. It was a clear case of God's strength moving in on my weakness. Now, he says, I take limitations in stride. And with good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so, the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Don't you love being around people like this? Don't you love people who have gotten a hold of this? They understand at the core what Jesus promised Paul that day. They get sustaining grace. And your breakthrough today could be that you could understand in fresh new ways the sustaining grace that God is offering you when no is the answer, even when yes is the answer. And so I want to give you five reflections today real quickly, but these five reflections on sustaining grace could have an enormous impact, and this is in your notes. I want to invite you to follow along with me. Number one, we have permission to ask God to remove our thorns. God invites you as a good heavenly father to come to him and say, this hurts, I'm in pain, I'm disappointed, I'm stressed, I'm, over, I'm in over my head. He invites you as a good heavenly father. He says, come, approach my throne with confidence and you're gonna find grace and mercy in your time of need. He says, you can come and you can ask. We have permission. But number two, God has permission to say no. And we hate that. We don't like the no's. 
Here's how this plays out in the Christian world. If you're new to Christianity or new to exploring faith in Jesus today, this is how Christians talk about it. And I've seen it insidiously my whole life creep into our verbiage. And you may argue it's semantics, but I would submit to you that it has an enormous impact in how you talk to God. Jenna comes to me. She says, Dad, can I go hang out with such and such? I'm going to go spend the night, going to go do this, going to go do that. And I say, you know what, Jenna? No, you actually can't do that. We've got some this and this and this and this. She leaves the room. She goes into the next room over. And she says to Amy, hey, Mom, can I go to such and such a house? Can we do such and such and such and such and such, blah, 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 blah. Amy has overheard that conversation. And this hasn't happened, by the way. Jenna doesn't do this. This is just an illustration. So uh, uh, she says to Amy, can I do blah, 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 blah. And Amy says to her, well, did, did you ask your dad? Yeah, I asked him. Well, did he answer you? Actually, no, Mom. He didn't give me an answer. Is no an answer? Yes, it is. And you know what's never happened to me as a pastor in 21 years of pastoring? None of you have ever done this in the church I was in before we came here. No one ever did this. No one ever runs up to me on a Sunday morning or sees me in the mall walking around or catches me at Walmart or out when I'm kayaking yesterday. That was fun. No one ever comes up to me and says, David, I've just got to tell you, God said no. It was the best answer to prayer I've ever had. No one ever does that. What we always do is we say, hey, I've got to tell you about an answer to prayer. And what do we mean by that? We mean we got a yes. But no is just as much an answer. And wait is an answer, and not yet is an answer. Parents, you get this. You understand this. We don't like the no, but we have to learn to take no for an answer. Number three. You with me still? All right. God may choose to showcase his power on the stage of our weaknesses. Because when God says no, when he doesn't fix it like we think he should, he still is there with us. He provides the roads for us that we don't even see are there. He will bring us through it, and he helps us little by little by little. But he may choose to showcase his power on the stage of your weaknesses. And his compassion and his choice to heal are not based on his love or his compassion for an individual. God is always loving, and he was always compassionate, and he sees further than you do. He understands more broadly and deeply than you do. Number four, this one's enormous. You can't experience God's sustaining grace while resisting his will. You say, well, David, what's resisting his will? In the context of what we're talking about, resisting his will is not taking no for an answer. When we refuse to take no for an answer, when we go kicking and screaming, have you been in the airplane with a kicking and screaming child? Have you seen them in the hallways? Have you seen them in, when you're in the um, aisles at, at uh, you know, Sam's or at Walmart or wherever you might be and you see the child and the child is kicking and screaming and thrashing around? When we look a lot like that as adults and teenagers, we can't experience the sustaining grace that God offers us if we're going to resist his will. And number five, sustaining grace begins 
with the exact same place that it did for our Savior. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus would not interact with us in any way that he was not willing and had not done himself. And so he models the way for us. The night of his betrayal, the night that he would go before the Jewish leaders and be falsely accused and before the Romans and all the way through till the cross. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And guess what Jesus experienced all the way to the cross? God's sustaining grace. And he wants that so desperately for you and for me. And I've been praying for you this week in preparation for this time that in these moments, you would learn as a child of God to take no for an answer when the answer is no. That you would not push back and reject on him, but that you would experience that same sustaining grace that sustained Paul and that sustained Jesus. That strength and the ability to endure when you are weakest. The next thought in your notes is that we got to be mindful of the things that can hinder our wholeness. There are some things that the New Testament talks about. People weren't healed because of some things. There were moments and situations and circumstances where this person said this or they did that or they had this attitude or this perspective and in that moment, they were not healed. And you ask, well, what are those things? I'd really like to know. If I'm supposed to be mindful of them, I'd really like to know. Well, I'm not gonna tell you. Let's move on. Just kidding. Unconfessed sin demonic oppression and bondage. You'll see that. You say you actually believe in a, in a devil and demons and all that. Yep, I actually still do just because Jesus did. And I go with Jesus. If anybody can pull off, prophesy and pull off their own death and resurrection, I'll go with him. And he believed in that. Sometimes it's fear or past disappointments that undermine our faith. Sometimes other people kept people from experiencing healing there was false teaching and there was unbelief. In fact, there's actually a group of folks out there that teach that we shouldn't go to doctors, that we shouldn't go to the medical professions. And I'm here to tell you today that from the Old Testament through actually the New Testament and even Jesus and through his teaching, you'll see the prophets and the kings consulting physicians and doctors. And I'm here today to tell you that we don't worship medicine, but God works through medicine as well as divine intervention. And I'm very grateful for those of you who serve in our medical professions because God has given us wisdom through the medical professions and through, this, through the science and through the things that help us to know our bodies to be able to bring us that healing in this life. And so if you're looking, we don't look to medicine per se, but we look to the creator of medicine. And so if you've been taught or bought into the ideal that, hey, I should just toughen up and not go and get help, Come see me afterwards. Let's talk about that because God's invited us to use wisdom. And if that's what it takes, then he can divine heal, heal us, but he can also use doctors and nurses and medicine and those things. Last but not least, and I'm gonna invite the worship team to come as we wrap this up, is that we can be used to help restore others. We can be used in help restoring others. And at the end of our time together in just a minute or two, we're going to have an extended time of singing and worship, and we're going to invite you to seek God. And we've got some folks that are down here around the front that will be willing to pray for you. And they're going to have these little jars, and maybe you've seen them down there before. This is your first time. We don't do this a lot 
but we believe that today is the day that God has invited us to do this, and we're going to invite any of you who want to come forward and to be prayed for for healing, whatever kind of healing it might be. Maybe for you it's a spiritual healing. Maybe for others it's a physical healing or some other relational. You can find a place you'll be able to kneel around the altar, and you might come to somebody who has one of the jars of oil. And why do we do that? I want to explain that in our final moments here together. This is what the brother of Jesus, James, wrote in James chapter 5 in the New Testament. Here's what he says. Are you sick? Call the church leaders together to pray and anoint you with oil. In the name of the Master. There is nothing magical in the oil. There is nothing special about the oil. We did have it shipped in just from the Mount of Olives this morning. But other than that, there's nothing special about that. Believing prayer will heal you, and Jesus will put you on your feet. And if you've sinned, notice the primary concern here is the healing of our sin nature and that sin within us. If you've sinned, you'll be forgiven, healed inside and out. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. And so in just a moment, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to sing, and there'll be people around here around the front. If you'd like to be prayed for, we want to invite you to, to come forward. Nothing hokey, nothing crazy. We're just asking the one who knows us better than we know ourselves, the great physician, to do what he wants to do in our midst today. And all of this is a whole lot more deep than just words on a piece of paper to me. Many of you would know this. There will be a few of you who've come since this. But back in 2010, you remember, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. And she fought until February of 2012. Went through a round of chemo. We waited to see. And the, and the cancer came back, and it came back more aggressively. And in that season, my mother led the way in taking no for an answer. And we prayed, and we anointed her with oil. We did exactly what we're going to do today. And we asked God to remove the thorn. And God said, I'm not going to remove the thorn as you ask in this life. I'm going to ultimately heal her. And when we think about death, we think of it as an ending. But our Heavenly Father thinks about it in terms of it is an internal healing. Because I'm here to tell you today that mom has a resurrected body. And she has never once been sick since then. And ultimately, we have experienced exactly what Paul experienced and exactly what Jesus experienced, God's sustaining grace. And there were people who came and said, she should be living a certain amount of time and you need to have more faith. <gasps> There's so much confusion, so much stuff that's been taught about this subject. We're gonna ask God to remove thorns today. We're going to ask him by faith in Jesus' name. We're going to learn to take no for an answer if that's what it is. If he chooses to do it now, awesome. We will give him praise and honor and glory and we will celebrate. But we can celebrate even in the moments where the answer is no. And we can experience God's sustaining grace for us. Would you bow your heads with me? If this was for you today, would you slip up your hand so I can be praying for you? If God was speaking to you specifically something this morning, all over this place. Anybody at all? Yep, I see those hands. Yep, anybody else? Father, I thank you for sending Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus, for coming so willingly, for laying down all of your glory and splendor. And yet, in flesh, you became sin for us so that we might be healed at the soul level, our brokenness made whole. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you that you care about us, that you see what we're facing today, and you've invited us to come and to seek you and to ask you for help in our midst of trouble. So as we do that, as we obey what you said, what you invited us to do, would you pour your spirit out upon us today? For those that are investigating you, Jesus, would you show up as only you can by your Holy Spirit in their lives and make yourself real to them? Bring healing to their brokenness. God, help us increase our faith. Help us in our unbelief. Give us the ability to trust you as we sing, as we worship, as we pray. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your sustaining grace. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www dot riversideconnect dot org